Welcome to the Joyful Educational Leadership Podcast, a podcast for school and district leaders who want to wake up and be excited to go to work, ensure that teachers are happy, students are joyful, and parents are engaged and make a positive difference in the lives of those they serve. Your host, Dr. Donna Marie Kozine, will share tips, tricks, and proven strategies to increase joy in your staff, students, and yourself. Welcome to the Joyful Educational Leadership Podcast. I'm Dr. Donna Marie Kozine, your host, and I am so happy to be with you this week for episode four of Making Joyful Decisions. Making decisions is something that each and every one of us as human beings do multiple times a day, but as leaders, we do it probably hundreds of times a day. In the course of a week, we might make a thousand decisions. Some of them might be really quick and easy, Others might take some more deliberation, but they all weigh, can potentially weigh heavy on us. So this week, I want to talk with you about making joyful decisions. Making decisions can cause us a great deal of angst. And I, I thought a lot about why that is. And when I was writing my first book, How to Be, I'm sorry, it's called, Do You Want to Be a Superintendent? Become the Leader You're Meant to Be. I realized that the reason why people worry so much about making the decision is because you focus on the wrong thing. You focus on, am I making the right decision? And that idea of right versus wrong puts you into a state that I call, and other people as well have coined the term analysis paralysis, where being so worried about making the right decision actually causes you to make no decision or causes you to extend the decision out way further. Now, there are a couple of reasons for this in my assertion. One is we have this part of our um, brain called the reptilian brain. And that reptilian brain was the first part of our brain that was developed. And that brain is created to protect us. So it tells us to fight, to flee, or even to freeze in dangerous situations. What happens sometimes when we have to make decisions, our reptilian brain kicks in and either we get really hyper excited about something in a positive way or even a negative way. When my reptilian brain kicks in, it's usually in a negative way where I am like, you know, ready to launch myself, that fight method. Or it tells you avoid the situation altogether, or it tells you to just stop. Your body cannot make a decision. So when making a decision, the first thing you want to do is if your reptilian brain is firing, you want to calm it down. So I want to give you an example. Many years ago, there was a staff member at school here who was consistently coming into school late. And we had a great conversation about strategies that he could use to get to school on time, et cetera. And one day he came in and he was actually on time. And I said to him, so-and-so, great that you were on time today. I'm glad some of the strategies that we worked on are working for you. And he said, I'm always here at this time. He was very, very rude. So I thought, okay, I need to have a meeting with this person and find out what is going on. And a reptilian brain was not 100% activated. It was a little activated. I was aggravated and a little annoyed about what was going on and why he would speak to me that way. So I asked him to come in and meet with me and my second in command. And when we met, 
he was very, 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 very rude and very aggressive. And um, I was so angry at the end of that. My reptilian brain was on fire. I was thinking to myself, he should be fired for the way that he spoke to me. Not only, you know, is he consistently late for work, but he's insubordinate. And who does he think he is? And fortunately, it was a Friday. And it gave me all weekend for my reptilian brain to calm down. And I thought about some of the things that he said to me. And although I didn't appreciate the way he said it, he did say something to me that was uh, true. He mentioned that um, we were not I don't know how it morphs into this, but basically that I was not giving him enough feedback as a teacher. And over the weekend, I thought about that. And I said, you know, he's right. I haven't been in his classroom consistently. It was our first year. We had 32 staff members. I was the only leader in the building who could consistently go into classrooms. I had 194 students and 32 staff members that I had to manage. So it was a lot, but it shouldn't have been an excuse. So on Monday, he came in and he said, DMC, can I talk with you? And I was like, sure, come on in. And he said, I just want to talk to you because I talked to my wife and I told her about our conversation on Friday. And she said that I was out of line and that I'm lucky I didn't get fired. And I said to him, so-and-so, you know, uh, thank you for coming in. And I think that we both benefited from having the weekend between our last intervention and today, because to be honest with you, if I had to have made a decision, I, I was very close to terminating you. But when I thought about what you said, there were some nuggets of truth that I want to address. And I don't appreciate the way you spoke to me, but I appreciate your message. So we got over it and we worked together for a number of years after and we would laugh about it. You know, remember that time? And he even shared with other people like Donna Marie is very forgiving. This one time I did, you know, and explained the situation. So knowing when your reptilian brain is firing is really important because you're not going to make any good decisions with that reptilian brain. An example in my personal life is when my husband and I might have an argument, which isn't often, to be honest, but a disagreement, he wants to talk about it right away. And I know that that's not a good idea because my reptilian brain is still on fire and I'm probably going to say some things that are hurtful. So I'll say to him, babe, I know you want to talk about it and I want to talk about it too, but I just am not ready. And if I talk about it right now, it's it's not going to have a positive outcome. And he's come to respect that about me that I can say to him, you know, I need to pause on this. So when you're making the decisions, first, make sure that you are in your right mind, literally not in your reptilian brain. The second thing to remember about our um, decision-making process is we have another thing in our uh, makeup called, I'll call it your inner judge. And again, this inner judge was created when we were children to protect us from situations, to say things like, you know, maybe it's not safe or things along those lines. But as we've become adults, the inner judge is our inner critic. It's that voice of um, that could actually be self-sabotaging or could make you feel like the imposter that I spoke about last time. It is the part of your brain that says, you know, you're not doing enough, you're not good enough, you're, you know, whatever whatever that, you know what it is because you hear it. For me, mine is always like, you're not good enough. You know, I don't know what yours is, but when you're having a moment of self-doubt, whatever your brain tells you, that's your inner judge. So also be able to identify when it's your inner judge speaking and not, you know, your true uh, essence of your true self. 
So then focusing on what I call the just right decision. And I think that this is really a game changer for you. Instead of thinking, am I making the right decision or making the wrong decision? You have to say, listen, I need to make a decision right now on the information I have in front of me. And I'm going to make the best decision that I can based on that information. That's why I call it the just right decision. Because right now I'm making the decision that's just right with what information I have in front of me. When you focus on making that just right decision, it takes all the pressure off of being right or being wrong. And for those of you who are perfectionists like I am, or people who don't ever want to be wrong like I don't, <laughs> and a lot of us in leadership, we've risen to this level because we want we have those um, type A personality traits. When I focused on the just right decision and not worrying about right or wrong, it really freed me up to even be more creative with my solutions. I went recent, not recently, a number of years ago, I went to a workshop and um, Dr. Bill Daggett, he does um, a lot of workshops around relationships. He calls the three R's relationships. Oh, I can't remember them right now. You could look him up, but I was at one of his workshops and someone there said that whenever you're going to try and solve a problem, not just look at the best, your best solution, but your next best solution or your next best idea. So Whereas someone will say, well, what's your best idea for solving this gap in data? The first thing that comes out of you is the most convenient response, but pushing yourself to saying, what's my next best idea is the one that probably is going to move you forth. So when you're thinking about the just right decision, you want to also think creatively and think outside of the box. And when you're experiencing analysis paralysis or worrying about making the right decision, that really is not going to happen. Another important thing to think about when you are making a decision is understanding and realizing when you are having analysis paralysis. The most important thing any leader can do is to decide. Your people are looking to you. They're saying, you know, what is, I'll use myself as an example. What's done and we're going to do? We're supposed to close school in two days. What, what are we doing? What are we doing? They need you to make a decision. The worst thing you could do is not make a decision because as the leader, that's what your job is. So not focusing on worrying about, am I making the right decision or am I making the wrong decision, but making the just right decision. Also realizing that hope is not a strategy. <laughs> Deciding is a strategy. Hope is not a strategy. When I speak with leaders and they say, well, I hope, you know, I hope this initiative is going to pan out. I'll say to them, okay, that's not a strategy. So let's talk about how can we make sure this um, you know, this new initiative pans out, or how can we measure if this new initiative pans out? So remembering, focus on the just right decision, understand what analysis paralysis is, and if you're experiencing it, and realizing that you're using a strategy that's not hope. I actually have a method that I created called the I Decide Method, and it can be found in my first book, which if you haven't received it yet, you can download a free copy at getdonnasbook.com. It is the R in uh, my, in my uh, driver's method, it's R, which is reasoning and analysis to make decisions, which is one of the later chapters. But it's the de decision-making framework or schema that I created to help leaders and help myself make better decisions. The I decide method you know, points out seven steps in making your decision and they have to be done in chrono chronology because it's important the one builds off of the other, but it doesn't have to be a long 
drawn out experience either. It is something that can happen very, very quickly. So the first step, I'll take you very quickly through the I decide method. The first step is to identify the problem. A lot of times people make decisions and they're solving the wrong problem. So identify truly what the problem is. Is the problem that our test scores are low or is it the problem that our curriculum is not rigorous enough? So really looking as far down into root cause as possible. Because if you're not solving the right problem, you're not going to get the results that you're looking for. The second one is to do your due diligence. Once you've determined that you have identified the problem appropriately, research it. What does this problem mean? How have other people solved this problem? Um, what do I think are the root causes? You know, really figuring out and doing some due diligence and looking around um, at each of the possible solutions is extremely, extremely important. The E stands for each possible solution. So you're going to brainstorm every possible solution that could solve this problem. After you do each possible solution, the C stands for cons versus pros. You see how I flip that so it fits in with my model? So what are some of the positives for each of these solutions and what are some of the negatives for each solution? After you do that, you go to I, which is input, when you make difficult decisions, you wanna seek input from trusted advisors or even people who are directly impacted by the decision. D is decide. As I, we talked about, you need to make a decision in terms of which way to go at, as a leader. You can't not decide, that's the worst thing you can do. And the last one is educate and evaluate. Educate means tell the people who need to know what you're going to do and evaluate means continue to evaluate the decision. Are you getting the um, results that you wanted? If you're not getting the results that you wanted, why? And how can you change it to get the results that you want? So that's the I decide method. The key to the I decide method, again, is focusing on the just right decision. I'm gonna take you through um, a decision that I had to make last year when school was being closed due to the pandemic. So, Identifying the problem was that Governor Cuomo was not closing schools yet, but our numbers were increasing quite a bit. And we had to have a plan for what we were going to do. And as an independent charter school, we don't have the bandwidth that many other um, large districts and organizations have, which makes us able to make quick decisions and do things, you know, specifically for the needs of our families and our children. But the problem is that we don't have as many personnel or as many resources that others do. So we have to be pretty creative. So the problem was that Governor Cuomo could close our school at any time. So um, that's the I. And the D was figuring out, okay, what does that mean for us? What are other people doing? What could we do? Um, for how long should we plan a closure. So I decided that we were going to plan for a two-week closure because everyone was saying that places could close for 14 days. So then we looked at E for each possible solution. So what could we do? We could do packets. We could send home packets. We could um, do a number of a combination of async plus synchronous. So 
I met with my team and we went through uh, each possible solution and we decided to do both. We decided we were going to plan two weeks of instruction and send home packets to go with it. And we were also going to set up Google Classrooms and teach staff how to get on Zoom and do all of those things. Because when we sat down and we looked at the cons versus the pros, we realized that the packets would be fine if we just had two weeks worth of work, but if it was going to go longer, which in some states they had been closed for months, that solution wasn't going to work for us. So we very quickly put into practice and put into play two parallel paths, one being asynchronous and the other being online synchronous. We sought input. Um, we didn't seek a lot of input because it was a very quick turnaround, but we did seek the input of a few teachers as well as our instructional leadership team. And we felt like we were going in the right direction. And that's the decision we made. And um, as we got closer, this was a Thursday, really, that we put everything in place. And by Friday, we by Thursday, actually, morning or afternoon, maybe we had the conversation Wednesday and I just know that Thursday and Friday, we just spent all day just getting things going. We informed our teachers of what was going to happen. Um, and then we informed our families. And on Sunday night or Sunday morning or afternoon, Governor Cuomo closed New York schools. And by Monday morning, 8 o'clock a.m., we had our virtual academy up and running. We literally did not miss a heartbeat of schoolwork, which was pretty amazing. A lot of schools around here and across the state and the country closed for a number of days just to plan what they were going to do. And we were able to do that. And again, part of it is the size of our organization. Part of it is the fact that as a charter school or a small organization, um, you know, we're able to be pretty versatile and make decisions quickly, but also the method that we use to make the decision, the I decide method really was um, a game changer for us. And as the E says, evaluate, we adjust it as needed. And over the course of the next couple months, we got better at some things. Uh, we got rid of some things that we started with and added some things that we didn't have so that when school started this year, we started with a ironclad, amazing virtual program that um, quickly changed and went to a hybrid program. And we've had an amazing school year based on those adjustments that we made. So Making decisions can be joyful, even difficult ones. When you take away the pressure of trying to be right and just focus on making the just right decision and keeping in the forefront of all of your decision-making, your stakeholders, your children, their families, your staff, really thinking what's best for the children and their families, and then what's best for staff. Having that hierarchy really makes a huge difference. So I have a leadership challenge for you this week. Um, last week, I wanted you to set some goals and think about how goal setting would help you focus on your own growth and your and building growth, building joy through growth. This week, I want you to think about the I decide method. And I want you to think about a decision that you have to make right now that you've been ugh, worrying about or you didn't know where to begin. And I want you to use the I decide method to make that decision. And I want to hear how it's going. So email me at dmc at consultdmc.com. Let me know about your joyful decision making. And again, if you want more information on the I Decide method, it could be found in my book. So you want to be a superintendent, become the leader you were meant to be. 
and it is in chapter nine. And you can actually download a PDF copy of that book at getdonnasbook.com. In friendship, love, and leadership, I will. I look forward to connecting with you again on session or episode five, Developing Leaders is Joyful. Have a wonderful day. This has been another edition of the Joyful Educational Leadership Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave us a review on iTunes and share it with friends and colleagues. If you'd like to join our mailing list, please go to www.joyfuleducationalleadership.com where you can learn more about how you can become the joyful leader you were meant to be.